0: Hey everybody, thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app, or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show.
1: How often do you ask somebody for price and the only thing you're looking for is a competitive bid? Which basically the question is, how often do you lie in business?
0: This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's podcast is part two of a two part interview with Chris and Brandon Voss, co authors of the best selling book on business negotiation, Never Split the Difference. Chris Voss used to be an FBI hostage negotiator. When he retired, he applied the negotiation techniques he learned in law enforcement to the business world. Some of the methods the Vosses teach can seem difficult and counterintuitive, but I can personally vouch for their effectiveness in my own business dealings. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and 6 to 8 weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. FireTrace systems are safe for people and machines because they use clean agents that leave no residue. The systems are compatible with all major machinery brands and can be installed within a few hours. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com/swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com/swarfcast.
1: Brandon and I hate not making deals, and we think it's really stupid for us to have driven a deal from the table. By taking an extreme position when we should have made the deal, we should have explored it. We should have found out what the other side could have thrown on the table.
0: Right. So if you let them start, at least you're going to start something rather than just scare
1: them away. It's information. Their first price is information. How do you know that they're not going to start out with a price that was better than what you would have asked for in the first place? I don't care what percentage of time that is. I'm not willing to give those dollars up as a starting point. You may come up with a number that that was higher than what I wanted, or better for me than what I wanted. I want to make that happen because then it's an opportunity. It was your idea. You're more likely to stick to that if I get you to to fight for that price. So then you're much more invested. You're gonna you're gonna execute. So we don't believe in in a higher anchoring. Now there are other things that we do, but uh, you know throwing out an extreme position. To start with is, is not something we believe in okay you good, you good with that bray
2: yeah you know I, and and one thing I'd, I'd ask you to expound upon a little bit is just that people anchor so much in negotiation i mean it's it happens so often that people generally walk into a negotiation expecting to be anchored at some point now to your exactly to what you said earlier anchoring is not something we do However, if we've given a price or if someone has given a price and that's their number, but the counterpart interprets that number as an anchor because they're so used to getting anchored, no matter what you say, they're just automatically going to assume whatever number you laid out is going to be an extreme anchor. How do you deal with that?
0: Well, I find in our business, a lot of times you just given it, you you give a price and and they just go away if Mm -hmm. it's not even close to what but then at the same time everybody wants a deal and so i'm like totally torn and people don't feel a lot of times people don't feel like you're real unless you have a price on the machine
2: interesting nuance there no i like i like interesting nuances because that's i mean you just said you added some more detail basically to the situation that i just described because you know i mean you see this all the time you and and your father and your uncle and your business that you guys run, I mean, you you see this
1: firsthand. Yeah. So all right, so we'll give you a little bit of coaching, all right? So you guys got you got machines. You, you got to name price first because you're selling machines, right? Sometimes,
0: often, yeah.
1: All right. So if, so if somebody comes back at you and wants to lower the price, pivot out of price right away. If I'm legitimately telling you that your price is high, what am I telling you? The value is just not there for me. So that's a label. Pivot off the numbers and start pivoting to the dynamics. Now, uh, your label is going to tell you one or two things. They're, you say the value is just not there. For, you know, they say, hey, look, you guys, that, that machine, I mean, that's crazy. What do you That, that price is way too high. You got to come down. Your response, instead of instead of getting into a back and forth, uh, tic-tac-toe. You got to stay out of tic-tac-toe. You got to stay out of being the second mover. Because now if you come back, you're a second mover. You're at a disadvantage. The best you can do is tie. You say, hey, look, it sounds to me like this machine just isn't worth it for you. Mm-hmm. Now, when they come in, what are they doing? First of all, do they want your machine or do they just need a competitive bid? Mm, sometimes. Sometimes. How much of that time? Matter of fact, there's data out there as how much they just need a competitive bid and they're wasting your time. At least 20% of the time, they're there for a competitive bid. There's been a fair amount of data that's been pulled on it, where they basically ask business people, how often do you ask somebody for price? And the only thing you're looking for is a competitive bid, which basically the question is, how often do you lie in business? Business people have admitted to lying 20% of the time. Now, if you wanted to put that figure in context, are they exaggerating how much they lie? Are they minimizing how much they lie? If I ask you how much of the time do you lie Your likely initial reaction Is going to be to minimize how often you lie Because you you probably pride yourself On your honesty and integrity You're not going to exaggerate how much you lie So that 20% number has got to be low There's no way Based on what we know On human nature And nobody uh, that we've discussed This 20% figure with has, has said oh no no people, People exaggerate how much they lie People lie way way less than they actually admit to. No, the, that ain't the case. People will minimize how much they lie. So 20% of the time they're pumping you for information, they're not going to do business with you. Every moment spent in that conversation costs you your most valuable commodity, time. Mm-hmm. It keeps you from talking to people that you should be talking to. So that's that's the first issue. You got to find out whether or not they're lying or whether or not they're telling the truth that they're going to buy from you. Sounds like the value is not there for you. Is a label that their reaction will give you a really good assessment of whether or not they're there to buy. Right. Okay, but say you know
0: that they want the machine, you know they 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 likely are interested in the machine, but you they don't want to give you a price. I mean, we know the market to some extent. We kind of know a target. It's just this like difficult puzzle to figure out how much to anchor versus how much to you don't want to like scare them away you know and like once you go too low then you're you know you're never gonna get them back up so if you had to come in and anchor is there a certain technique you use or
1: I' I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out one more idea to put some context on this and then I'm gonna ask Brandon jump in and this this is why the bargaining skills from kidnapping negotiation directly applicable to the business world so I'm working at kidnapping someplace anywhere in the world and again, Our skills have been test-driven everywhere. So it doesn't matter whether I'm in Bogota or Baghdad or Beirut. So the the commanders I'm working for say, when is this going to be over? And I'll say, when the bad guys feel like they've gotten the best deal they can. Mm -hmm. Not when they got the best deal they could. When they felt like it. Yes. We're talking about kidnappers' feelings. As soon as they feel it was a good deal. That's exactly what you described. You get somebody looking to buy from you. They gotta feel like they got a good deal. They gotta feel like they work for it. They gotta feel like they fought for Otherwise, it. Otherwise, they'll be unhappy. Exactly. And so, these are the strategies that we teach people. Because what's going to happen? You got to follow in relationship with these guys. So they're going to come back. Do they feel like they got a good deal? They feel like they get cheated. Even if they don't come back, they're going to tell people in their industry, you're people in an industry, you know, do something good. Three people know about it. Do something bad. Twelve people know about it. Yeah. Every time somebody feels cheated by you, they're going out and they're telling everybody in the industry. These guys, you know, they, they 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 ripped me off. It wasn't worth it. You know, the value just isn't there. You don't need that. You don't need that polluting your environment. So making sure people feel like they got a good deal is, is a critical issue. Brandon, am I, am I good there? What do you think? Am I off, where am I at base?
2: I, I, I would agree with you on on all counts. And as far as from an execution side, I mean, this is another reason why Noah brought up the labels and mirrors at the beginning and why those, those, those are such powerful skills. goes back to exactly what, uh, what Chris just said in regards to pivoting to a dynamic. We get so caught up on terms and facts and data in negotiation that we overlook a dynamic. And so what's your budget? How much are you going to pay for this? What did you guys decide is going to be what what your spend is going to be? Right. Those are all the questions.
0: Find the facts before you throw anything at them. If you're going to throw something at them.
2: Exactly. People get caught up in trying to find the facts. And as, as Chris mentioned earlier, unfortunately, when you're asking all those questions, it feels like you're, in fact, interrogating the other side. So you switch to labels and mirrors because mm-hmm. it makes the conversation feel more seamless. It makes it feel much more like a conversation rather than a negotiation where you are interrogating me for information I don't want to give you. Yeah. And so you shift to those labels and you can say things like. You know, even a mislabel, right? We talk about mislabels a lot. I like,
0: I like mislabels.
2: Labeling them in in in, in uh, inaccurately on purpose, and so something that comes to mind, you know, they put a lot of thought on what they want to spend on something like this. They've had lots of conversations. They probably got money squirreled away for what they're going to spend on it, and you use a label on them that says it sounds like you haven't spent much time figuring out what you would spend on something like this. Yeah. Sounds like you haven't put much thought into what you'd want to spend on this machine. Knowing darn well, they put plenty of thought into it. But that's one one of the ways to start chipping away and how do we get them to name price first? Sounds like you haven't thought much about what you'd spend. Sounds like you haven't set aside a budget. Sounds like you're worried about you're going to get the value for the price. Mm -hmm. Sounds like there's a ceiling that you want to make sure you don't cross. Sounds like you got a range in mind. Sounds like you got other machines that you're looking at just like this one. Yeah. Right. Then you're focusing on dynamics as to why would they say something like this? Because they might be looking at another machine. Why would they say something like this? Well, because they got a ceiling that they don't want to cross and they're afraid that they're going to go over that. Those are the dynamics that you then start to label and you just pepper them with.
0: Say I was brokering a machine. I ain't known it. And I came in with a high anchor, but then I said, but they might be willing to listen to an offer, make an offer. It seems like in a way, you frame yourself kind of, you put yourself in sort of a a frame that's lower, but at the same time, you are giving them a chance to name a price. What does your instinct tell you about that?
2: Well, I I, might, I probably got a, I got a couple of clarifying questions for you, but the first thing I like is, you know, giving them the opportunity to name price. And, and the real key to what you said is giving them the opportunity. Because that way you get
0: to give them a price, but you also then let them name a price. It's sort of a backdoor method in a way.
2: Well, that, that's the thing. this this whole idea of giving them the opportunity, right? Giving them the opportunity to solve the problem from their point of view or on their own, or without them feeling like they've they've got to consider your input in order to figure out how to solve the problem. That's when you start to protect people's autonomy. People are much more likely to make a deal if they feel like they're in control of what's happening. right? That's what what shuts people down is when they feel like they're starting to lose control. Yeah. I can't agree to that price That's I, I feel like I've lost a little bit of control by agreeing to that price. I can't agree to that term because it affects my autonomy and my ability to control what's happening. When people feel, feel again, feel like they have that, exactly like Chris mentioned earlier, you know, they'll tell you what it takes to make a deal.
0: Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. That brings me to no questions, which is like maybe the most important thing in the book. Chris, explain no questions real quick, please.
1: Yeah, well, it's just trying to get people, intentionally trying to get people to say no uh, versus yes. Uh, it's ridiculously simple. It's, it scares the hell out of people. It's counterintuitive. Um, it's, it's astonishing in its effectiveness. Unfortunately, many people have been getting to yes as a title of a uh, the most famous negotiation book preceding ours, taught everybody the yes was success, which made everybody feel that no was failure. Uh, just horrified at, at the word, as if you know it was like Baltimore. You can't say it. You know, terrible <laughs> things I have. You say no, Baltimore appears. It's horrible. <laughs> the word that must not be named, and that's so wrong. So consequently, everybody's trying to get you to say yes. There's always a catch. And as soon as somebody starts to try to get you to say yes, your guard goes up. And people get into no mode where everything they say is no. And they condition themselves every time the word no comes out of their mouth that they feel they protected themselves. They feel safe. Right. It's it's a great place to be.
0: Yes makes people feel nervous.
1: Every time. Exactly. Every, Every time. Every time. So we started experimenting. We came across by accident what happens when you intentionally trigger people to say no. And we started getting massive amounts of data that it prompts people to action. And your success rates are much higher. And we actually had a student in our class at Georgetown go out and and run a run a sales script based on no's versus yes's instead of saying, do you want to have a better life? He'd say, have you given up on having a better life? And they ran they ran the no script side by side one night against the yes script, and a no script performed twenty three percent more effectively. So we started just actively going after, getting people completely out of yes mode and into no mode, and it's astonishing the difference it makes. Like if that's the only thing you do, you'll make more money. Yeah, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But we mm-hmm. get enough people to reach out to us and t- start telling us about how it changed their lives just switching from yes to no and we're like ah we're awesome you're 20% of the where you could be you know you you have no idea how much faster you could go but it's it's a it's a phenomenal change
0: yeah well it's it's incredible i i mean one of the things in the book that i love is your thing about the email the if nobody's getting back to you and You just feel helpless. You've been trying to get them to talk to you. You've been trying to just get, you just, you just want to know if they're real or not. doesn't matter. You just want to hear from them. It's the worst feeling. And then uh, what I've found, I call it the nuclear bomb. If you're just totally stuck, because you can't do this too quickly, but you say, you write a one sentence email and you just say, have you given up on this project? And that if there's nothing else i learned in that book i mean that it's just amazing you will get a response nine out of ten times sometimes it'll be something you want to hear sometimes it won't be what you want to hear but i mean it'll it'll help
1: and you don't have to wait either you get the response almost immediately pretty quickly
0: pretty quickly just a few few other things uh is trump a good negotiator
1: you want you want the Trump people to hate us. You want all your Trump fans out there. Too? <laughs>
0: Most of our <laughs> listeners are Trump fans, but I just I uh, as an objective opinion, what uh, you don't have to. You look if you don't want to comment, you don't have to.
1: Where's where where are we with North Korea? Um. You don't know. Yeah. Nobody knows. That's exactly the point. Okay. You know what? That, that, that's the problem. Brandon and I are both natural born assertives Donald Trump is a natural born assertive so there's a lot about us that resonates with his style in many different ways you know you you want you want to be combative and the problem is you the more combative you are you get some huge victories and then suddenly people stop dealing with you Mm -hmm. because all you all you are is combative and they they wears them out and Then they just go away They don't counteroffer They just go away And the North Korea thing He did a spectacular job Opening that up He accomplished something That no other American president Has accomplished in 50 years And ever Since the beginning It was a spectacular opening And it's just all gone away Nobody knows what's going on Nobody can figure it out It just went away. And that's the unfortunate problem with assertive negotiators. If they don't learn to get out of that mode, then they have a few early spectacular successes. And then suddenly nobody wants to talk to them anymore and everything just goes away. Interesting. So whether or not you think that's good or bad, how is it long term? Uh, I, those, that's, we don't, we don't want people to stop talking to you. We're coaching you We don't want your customers to just stop Coming in the door And have you guys sit in your offices Wondering why nobody's talking To you Yeah. We don't want that to happen to us We don't want people to We don't want a few spectacular successes And then have to change cities Every couple months Because we got to be put in a witness protection program Because we've completely poisoned the environment (laughs) Of where we were before and that's the problem with a negotiator's only move is assertion. Every negotiator needs to be assertive. It's an essential component of negotiation, but it's not the only component. And when it's your only component, this is what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. One more question.
1: Hey, hey Brian, what I leave out?
2: No, I, I, think, I think those are all... That's all very, the
0: very, yeah. very profound. Um why do you say win-win? There's no win-win. Win, I, I read that on the website. Or what's wrong with a win-win, a win-win agreement?
1: Well, we're gonna run out of time. So I'm, <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's probably it, a that good one. like hour lecture on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we could do an entire interview just simply on the win-win concept. There, there's so much there, but uh, uh, in short, uh, two problems with win-win. One. The win-win idea—the focal point around it—is that everyone has compromised to get to the place where they are. You gave up a bunch, we gave up a bunch, so we're kind of even in the fact that we both give up stuff that we didn't want to. So we both kind of won. You know, win-win and lose-lose in my mind are, are almost equals, but it's it's predicated on the idea that you have compromised your position so that both sides feel like they won. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's, that's one real problem with that. This whole idea of compromise and, where, and the way we approach it is, is a real problem. And then the second part about win-win is there's been plenty of situations where people have made deals that they felt like were win-win and then less than a quarter later, right? Less than 90 days later, they don't feel that way anymore.
0: But don't you want both people to feel like they won at the end isn't that the isn't that the goal to feel make both people feel good after the deal
2: now making people feel good is is a good thing making people feel like there was a win-win is a little bit different you know we don't see those as equals making people feel good about the deal that they've made and people feeling like everybody won is, are not exactly the same thing. Okay. But to your point, I mean, somebody feeling good about the deal they made is a good thing. That's essentially a place where you want to leave everybody, everybody in, is that they felt good about the deal that they made.
0: So maybe win is just a bad word to use.
2: Yeah, you know, and and, and really, when it comes to compromise specifically, and our problem with win-win and this whole idea of compromise is, there's a real fine line between compromising and high-value trades. And there's a very there's a difference between the two. And so and compromise are the problem with compromise is compromise usually starts before you even get to the table. Well, if we give up this thing, we might be able to get them to agree to this or we can't ask them that because they're never going to say yes. They would never. We can't ask them that question because this is what their answer is going to be. So we can't ask them. You know, that's what compromise. Compromise actually starts and gets ingrained in your process before you even get to the table. Hmm. And so that's one of the real issues with compromise. And then this, this win-win idea again, going back to that is win-win is not a lasting effect. You can You can make a deal today and feel like you won or both sides won and then wake up tomorrow and feel like you got screwed because the implementation isn't working out like you thought. Like I thought we made a good deal. How come we're behind on this thing? How come they haven't got us this yet? How come they seem to have reneged on this per- certain aspect of our terms? I thought we had a win-win, and more often than not, we have found the uh, the residual effects of win-win is people are actually confused about where they really are.
0: So, win is a bad word to use.
2: I, I guess. I guess in, in short, in short, yeah, in short, win is probably a bad. I can tell.
0: Does it mean mean somebody lost?
2: Yeah, right. Well, exa- well, that's the other thing, right? Exactly to your point. Win is basically a, a thought that, yeah, somebody had to lose. In order for us to win, somebody had to lose. And seeing your boss, I can see you shaking your head there. You got some additional thoughts you want to add
1: in. Now, it's really interesting because we've identified, you know, Brandon's written a piece previously on the five most emotional words in negotiation. And win was not on that list, but it might as well be because there's so much emotion involved. And all right, so let 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 let's talk about the truth. Let's see if you can handle the truth.
0: I, I don't know. I don't know if I can.
1: <laughs> you know, this win-win. You know, we don't care that the other side win. We want to win. If you said, "All right, you want a win-win deal," and I could say, "So it sounds like it's important to you that I win," and <laughs> you're gonna, you know, you'll probably lie to me and say, "Well, yeah, of course I want you to win." I say, "Well, cool. How about if I win only? You good with that?" The reality is where this is what side of this world are we on? We want to feel like we want. We don't really care that the other side lost. I mean, we hope they're OK. You know, there's a humanitarian aspect in all of us, probably not all of us. Actually, you know, there's a percentage. There isn't any. But they're a minority. But like, you know, do I do I lay up at night? Am I do I lay up at night worrying about you paying your bills? I sleep like a baby when I win. And I give no thought whatsoever to what your situation is. I'm worried about paying my bills. So, the, you know, the truth of it is it is this farcical fiction out there that we actually are worried losing sleep over whether or not you won. We lose sleep over whether or not we win. And there's, there's this whole farcical dynamic to it. And it's win-win is, this, is a sign of either a cutthroat negotiator or a naive negotiator. But in any given case, I know that if you say win-win early on in the negotiation, you are trying to pick my pocket. You're trying to take every dime I have or you're trying to pay me nothing. You know, come out and talk to these billionaires. It'll be a win-win opportunity for the Black Swan Group. And the next sound that somebody hears who says that to me on the phone is a click that I have hung up. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's a, it's a really fascinating dynamic and it's a, it's a fiction, it's a mirage, it's a sucker move. It's just get out of those words entirely. Don't let those words cross your lips combined and you'll be a better negotiator.
0: Well, guys, thank you so much. This is awesome. And uh, I, I'm sure you guys will, I'll consult you again in the future. And it was just, such a privilege to to see Brandon again and and to meet you, Chris. You're you guys are fantastic. So
1: you've been in good hands. You've been getting coached by uh, the best negotiator that the Black Swan Group has. Well, he, he seems pretty great. So he, he is, he's 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 most talented negotiator. No junk. Well, thank you guys and. Um, this is like a Joe Rogan interview. We should have, we should have, you know, we should have done the Elon Musk thing and it smoked a little weed while we were talking. <laughs> yeah, right. The, uh, weed, tobacco mix. Right there, you go. That's a classic Joe. I Ro- would have
0: totally done it. I didn't know you were into that.
1: You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. It's a, it's a it's a pleasure, man. I have certainly enjoyed this conversation. From today's machining world,
0: this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.